The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal, from the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. And welcome to another edition of Engaging Truth. I'm your host, Pastor John Kane. Today with us on the program, we have a very uh, interesting person um, who's involved with an international relief agency, Lutheran World Relief. He is Ambassador Daniel Speckard. Daniel is the president and CEO of Lutheran World Relief, and he is a past United States ambassador, not only to Greece, but also to a place that's been in the news recently, uh, Belarus, which shares borders with Russia and Ukraine. Welcome to the program, Ambassador. Thank you so much, John. It's a privilege to be here with you and your audience. Well, as I mentioned, you've had uh, a wide variety of experiences working on political solutions as the United States ambassador and now also relief solutions. So with your experience in this area that's in the news so much, um, your backgrounds in you know politics and humanitarian aid. What insights do you want to give our listeners straight out of the gate? What what yeah. can you tell us? Well, I think the most important thing I can share right now, as as you do know, I, I have had a long experience in this part of the world. I was a deputy ambassador at large for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the former Soviet Union. Then I became ambassador to Belarus. Then I went to NATO where we were working on issues related to this. So had a lot of time to think about this. And I think most important thing right up front for your listeners to understand is this is a huge struggle going on in the world right now, a struggle for values, right? As to what the values are that the world needs to follow in terms of freedom, independence, human rights, protection of civilian populations, uh, respect for uh, uh, international norms, uh, and peace, right? Uh, and we are reverting back to a struggle that some of the older folks, I'm going to put you in that category with me, John, if you don't mind, can remember that when we had a Cold War, a lot of your listeners oh, yeah. don't even remember that. But this struggle that they grew up in that we thought we were leaving behind all of a sudden is right here in front of us. And this is a critical moment in history for the United States, for Europe, and all the other freedom and peace-loving people out there that believe people have a right to self-determination, right? Uh, and this notion of uh, domination by external forces uh, to direct your future uh, is one that is being tested right now, right? Uh, and the question is, what is, does the world care? I've been excited to see that a lot of Americans do care and the outpouring of support they've had for Ukraine right now. Uh, it's really, it's really uh, warmed my heart. So you, let's segue a little bit from the politics and the, you know, the, the big uh, governmental actions or army actions. Let's bring that down to the individual level. What can you tell us about some of the needs of people, the citizens, um, people on the scene and on the ground? Yeah, well, I'm sure your listeners have seen a lot of this in the news as well. But, you know, to bring some of these numbers to light, there's roughly four and a half million people that have been displaced in Ukraine. Uh, many of those refugees that are now out of the border, but a lot inside Ukraine as well. Uh, one in three children in Ukraine right now is displaced. To give you a sense of how this is impacting the young people, most of the refugees that we're seeing and dealing with are the women and children. 
because the men are staying behind to fight. Uh, so this dislocation of families, all of these people on the move, uh, and you know it's still really cold there. Although some of them, I'm sure in Houston it's not, but uh, uh, in that part of the world it can get down to freezing at night. So this has really been hard on these families. Of course, you've also seen some of them stuck in the middle of the conflict zones themselves, where they're getting bombarded, living in basements for days and weeks at a time. The medical and health system is broken because the Russians are actually targeting hospitals uh, to try to terrorize the populations. They're targeting infrastructure to make sure the electricity and water doesn't work. So even just getting water uh, to drink in some of these places is difficult, dangerous, and hard. Um, So this is really a catastrophic crisis for uh, Ukrainians at this point in time, and it's requiring a huge response, which I'd be happy to share more about how people are responding to that. I think that's useful, John. Well, you're talking about some of the needs what what is Lutheran World Relief doing then to address the needs as we find out about them? Yeah, there are about three or four ways we're looking at this. One of the things that Lutheran World Relief, and I'm sure some of the other nonprofits that your organizations work with, are we're very grassroots centered, right? You try to get to the local uh, level to make sure you're talking to the people on the ground, that you're partnering with local partners. And so that's what we're very much involved with. So for instance, on um, in the Poland side, where so many of these refugees have come, we partnered with a church there that's creating and opening up its space to turn into a hostel for Ukrainian refugees, providing milk, food, hygiene, uh, cots to sleep in and relief operations. But of course, these little churches, right, they weren't big. They aren't like maybe some of yours down there in Houston. And so the infrastructure that they need, they need nonprofits like Lutheran World Relief and supporters that support us with their donations to be able to make that happen. Um, inside Ukraine, we're working with local organizations there to try to address the medical challenges and the health needs, right? Getting medical supplies in and health needs back into places which are oftentimes not even the hospitals, but they're turning into uh, makeshift uh, medical uh, facilities. Uh, for instance, one of the places we've uh, been uh, working with this week are these uh, summer camp kind of places where many of the Ukrainians are finding their ways to but they're only set up for summertime. They don't have big infrastructures. They don't have resources. And so we're trying to create kind of centers around Ukraine where we can help provide both the support to the families who run out of money and resources, as well as health uh, services. Um, Something I'd mentioned, John, that people probably don't realize is one of the best ways you can help uh, refugees is through cash. Right. Uh, And I don't mean just donations to us, but I mean, when we look at these people, the first thing we've tried to figure out is what is the best and most efficient way to help them? And I know some of your listeners might say, hmm, giving somebody money isn't that, you know, can't they spend it on bad things? We have studied this for many, many years, worked with many, many refugees. When you get into these critical, critical situations and you give it to a mother, she knows how to spend that uh, $30, right, to take care of her family. And it's oftentimes much more efficient than big trucks loaded with stuff on the back because the system, when it's still there, can help reinforce that. So in addition to all those other support mechanisms, we also are using our technology to help deliver uh, small little amounts of cash to displaced families and refugees to help these mothers who are taking care of their children who left their husbands, fathers, and others behind uh, in that kind of dynamic. And last, I would just say there's a lot of churches out there in the United States that are supporting us because they put together uh, baby kits, hygiene kits, personal hygiene kits, school supply kits, and uh, quilts. Uh, and we use those things to send those in to those areas because refugees have nothing essentially. Uh, and uh, 
that also makes a big difference. And it's a message of love from people here in the United States to those. So those are a bunch of different ways that we've been heavily involved in supporting Ukrainians uh, and the displaced populations there. So just uh, covering that, uh, we know a little bit about uh, supply chain difficulties and transferring and shipping and things like that, quilts or emergency supplies. There, there's probably a time delay in getting things to people. So I just wanted to uh, touch on that a little bit versus near instantaneous transfers of, of money. Right, exactly. I mean, that is the challenge. Somebody starts over here and we have to procure it, uh, supply it and get it over there. So if you can procure things locally, that's yep. also very powerful. And you have to put these two things together, right? It, it's not going to work for people just to pull together a drive of uh, locally here and say, let's send some stuff to Ukraine, because by the time it gets there, uh, some of those needs are already uh, well past needing to be met. I'd like to circle back to your uh, first comment talking about a church in Poland that you're working with. You used the word hostile, and that might be a word that uh, some of our listeners might misunderstand. Not everybody speaks with a Southern accent like we do and say hostile. <laughs> Describe what that's like uh, in terms of caring for people in that local uh, place yeah. in, in Poland. Uh, well, hostile I use is kind of a European word, I guess, more where you kind of, it's not a hotel, it's kind of a group place where you can go find a cot. Right. You're actually sleeping in a group uh, a group area uh, and there's some group uh, food and other kinds of things. So just imagine, and I know you've had these challenges in the Houston area, you know, when the churches open their doors because there's flooding or other kind of crises down there and you take that open area and every uh, spot and you put cots down, you use the kitchen in the church to start a food uh, a meal, a supply system, and essentially it's a communal living space where you get 100, 200, or 300 people all kind of temporarily parking in, in, in these places until they can figure out where to go next. And that's partly what we're doing, this immediate care need before the refugee services, the international organizations, and others figure out how to find placements for these people in some homes. Amazing stories, again, of uh, Polish uh German, European, others opening up their doors and taking in families and doubling the size of their houses overnight. That's the hidden story of love here, John. I mean, you know, sometimes in these crises, we have to look at what God's blessings are. And in this one, it's sad that this is happening, but I felt our world, especially with COVID and the political fallout of the last, you know, decade or so globally and everywhere else, people have just lost that sense of community that sense of love, that sense of not looking at who you are, what your beliefs are, you just have a need and I'm opening up my heart uh, and going to help take care of you. And, you know, that's the story of the Good Samaritan. So you mentioned uh, welcoming refugees into homes in some of the other countries. How else is this affecting other countries? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked that, John, because it's not just uh, the countries that have to help support uh, taking in these refugees there's a much bigger impact happening that has us really concerned at Lutheran World Relief. And that's the impact on the other poor countries in the world, the ones that are really less developed already kind of at the margins uh, in terms of being able to provide for their uh, populations. Um, so you, the reality here is that Russia and Ukraine together supply nearly a third of the world's global wheat. Mm -hmm. And wheat goes into that bread that's feeding many of these impoverished communities around the world. Uh, they also supply a lot of the about well, 10%, I think, alone Ukraine supplies of that wheat. And then in corn and barley, it's the same kind of thing. 80% of vegetable oil is produced by Russia and Ukraine. So when the system breaks down and those things can't get into the global markets, you see prices shoot up and you see even with even if you have the money, shortages start to show up. Uh, 
in Lebanon, for instance, which is really struggling right now. Some of your listeners may remember when they were hit by that huge explosion last year and the right. trouble they're having as a country. Uh, a gallon of cooking oil equals the minimum monthly wage. You know, it's just the cooking oil. Uh, wow. And if you're at the bottom end of this thing trying to make minimum wage, you can't feed your family anymore. Other countries like Yemen, which were already in near famine conditions for literally 160,000 people near starvation there, are going to be affected by these shortages that are happening around the world in our food supplies. In Syria, nearly 15 million people are dependent on assistance, right? And so what you're going to see happen here is because of these spikes in prices and shortages, the price of wheat, I think, has risen nearly 80% in the last 10 months or so. This is going to have a knock-on effect. And so when we're talking about these four and a half million people here in Ukraine that are displaced, it's going to push people in these other countries to move, become refugees, looking for food, moving to the cities, trying just to find any way to help their families survive. And the other challenge is, and we've already seen this in places like Iraq uh, and Sudan is when these shortages happen and people can't even feed their families, they come to the streets and it creates political upheaval. And it also creates things like uh, terrorism and extremism in these countries when countries can no longer provide for them. All of those things are global in nature in the sense that the thing that I think our listeners kind of understand now, John, is that what happens when you sneeze somewhere else in the world, we get a cold, right? And so it may sound like these are just humanitarian issues, but they're also issues for the American interests as well. A world bubbling with trouble and starvation and conflict is a world where eventually washes up and affects us on our shores. So thank you for your listeners that they understand this, that they are trying to do something about it and they're supporting organizations like ours and trying to get some responses. So what I just would say, John, there is after they do something for Ukraine, I ask them to kind of look beyond Ukraine, right? Where else? our God's people, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters, really suffering uh, because the spotlight isn't there. The journalists aren't there. Uh, and I'd ask them just to do a little digging themselves on their Google, um, Google Yemen or Google uh, South Sudan, you know, a Christian nation there that is really always at the edge. Right. Well, why don't you point us to some of those ways that our, our listeners can plug in and help to be um, part of the solution? Great. Well, I would love uh, for them to come see our website, uh, lwr.org. That's for Lutheran World Relief.org slash aid Ukraine, or you just go to our website, lwr.org, and you will find the Ukraine uh, webpages there. They will tell you the kinds of things that are happening. They will tell you ways you or your churches can get involved. I have to be honest with you, it's not just individuals who just had this outpouring, but congregations. I haven't seen this literally in 10 years, right? That congregations who in many of these places uh, are struggling, right? But small congregations are rising up to this challenge and it's causing, I think, community to come back together in the church itself as they realize there's something important for them to be doing in service to their neighbor uh, with, in, in recognition of the love for their God. And what better time as we head into Easter weekend here uh, to be thinking about this. And when you go on there, there's ways you can get involved in some of those quilts and kits and other kinds of things. You wanna be active in that sense. The donations, just you can uh, send us checks on there online, uh, and, and you can either do it by paper or you can do online. Uh, all of that stuff will immediately go to start helping people who are suffering, both in Ukraine, but if you're open enough to say anywhere it's needed, we're going to make sure some of these people in places like Yemen, South Sudan, uh, and the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, which are stories which I'd encourage them to go look at as well, are also not forgotten. 
uh, as God's children as well during this time. So you've touched a little bit about uh, poverty around the globe. Uh, how, how do we make a difference and try and break the cycle? Is that possible? It is. And I guess uh, that's a wonderful question, John. One of the key things there is to try to think about where you're providing support and the organizations you're providing support to, how much emphasis do they give on empowering the communities they serve with and working locally to really create solutions that are lasting and sustainable, right? It is, the, I know people heard this, but it is the teach to fish rather than give a fish. But the reality is most of us are still giving a fish, right? It's just much right. easier. Dump our clothes off at that big bin, you know, send some food in a big truck. But the reality is for most of these other places, when it's a catastrophe like Ukraine, best thing you can do is get people fed, get shelter over their head. But when it's a chronic poverty problem, like we're having in Africa, best thing you can do there is work with the communities to create lasting solutions. So what that means is it's technical assistance on how to develop, use what they have to create organic fertilizers, to manage the little plots of land that they have, to keep the soil from eroding, to conserve their water, uh, to plant the right kinds of seeds that are more resilient to drought, and to help help them understand these concepts, be able to learn how to use those tools, and then teach uh, others in their communities about that. We've had phenomenal success with this, where communities that have had nothing to eat are selling their export fruits and vegetables and other things on the local market. That then in turn, guess what, sends their kids to school because without a little money, most of these places, kids can't go to school. Once the kids get some schooling, you're on a different dynamic for that next generation. And your, your support at the beginning can have generational change. And that, that's what gets me excited. Sure, you're giving them a future. And, and you know that is just so exciting for our listeners to be a part of recognizing that uh, it's, it's uh, putting our faith into action in a way that will help others. Yeah. Another thing uh, they can think about is like uh, our organization has something called impact investing, where you do essentially micro investments in uh, small businesses, because it's not just the subsistence farmers who you're trying to help, but you need to create a whole economic systems around that. You probably know your listeners who live in some of the small Texan communities, right? They see what happens when there's not enough economic activity around. The young people leave. They go to the big cities and the community shrinks. We got to reverse that, right? Not only here in the United States, but we got to reverse that, especially in these poor countries where when these really poor people go to the cities, there's nothing there for them, right? So for us, we're investing in uh, small businesses that creates economic opportunities and jobs for the children of some of these families. It allows us to push more of the value added back to the producers. It's really exciting uh, as well. And what I love talking about this as well is, you know, business people out there. There's so many business people mm -hmm. who maybe don't see the connection of all of their understanding skills and support to actually uh, humanitarian work, uh, changing poverty and doing these other things. But it's directly connected, right? Uh, they are equally important in, in God's uh, world in terms of creating prosperous communities that are healthy, thriving, and supported. We'll come back to Ambassador Spector in just a moment. I'd like to point our listeners to our own website, elmhouston.org. And there on our website, you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube accounts. You can also read about us and find ways to support us there. If you'd prefer to write us, you may write us at uh, uh, PO Box 568, Cypress, Texas 77410. And we encourage you to take a moment to support what you hear on uh, Christian radio. I'd also remind you that uh, 
we have a, our uh, 501c3 designation from the IRS. So this is a tax deductible donation when you send it in. And since our on-the-air hosts are all volunteers, you know that your donations go far to help us purchase airtime. Back to you, Daniel. I would like you to give our listeners once again ways that they can plug in uh, through your website. Thank you. Uh it's Lutheran World Relief. You just Google that, you'll find us. But the uh, site is lwr.org, lwr.org. And man, it's uh, it would be good to hear from you and your listeners uh, and love to help find ways to channel your love and compassion for the situation in the world right now and people who really need it. I would like to say as well, John, you know, it says Lutheran World Relief. Uh, we were started 75 years ago uh, because a bunch of Lutheran denominations in the United States were so... Uh, upset by the tragedy unfolding in Europe. You know, we're kind of back to our roots now and right. really a huge number of displaced people, uh, people almost on the edge of starvation at the end of World War II. Um, and here we are again. But what, what's interesting now, 75 years later, my board is made up of all sorts of people from Christian denominations, right? Yeah. So uh, our staff is all sorts of denominations. Uh, we are not uh, specifically a part of the Lutheran church or any of the denominations. We're an independent uh, 5013C organization as well. Uh, so think of us as a faith-based organization doing uh, good work. And I hope that many of your listeners, even if they're not Lutheran, don't have to worry about that. We're representing all Christians. Thank you for that. Uh, quick question. We've been talking about uh, Ukraine and that uh, situation. How has COVID changed uh, the way that you work um, putting boots on the ground or, or getting aid to where it's needed? You know, uh, wow, you have great questions uh, because COVID has really done a number on the countries that we're working in and created all sorts of challenges uh, for the communities that we're working with there. So initially, for instance, we had a real hard time when COVID first broke out because we needed to support our, we do a lot of health work in these African countries. We could not get masks to our health workers, right? Because as you remember, there was a shortage of global masks in the world, yeah. right? So we had to double down. And the first thing that we had to do was make sure our workers were safe in the field so that they didn't get sick and could no longer help people. So uh, we have been able to make sure that the people on the front lines are supplied with the proper PPE. But the challenges, of course, in many of the countries we're working in is they don't have these big infrastructures and systems there to help people when they get sick, right? So uh, we're doing pretty good. You go to that hospital, you get all that special extra care. We're talking about, you know, one rooms in most of these places with a few rudimentary things in there. And that's where you go when you get COVID. So what we're trying to do is work first and foremost on prevention, because uh, that's the front lines of this work, helping people understand how to uh, protect themselves uh, from getting sick. And then once they do get sick, we try to assure that the, uh, the infrastructure that is there has as much as they can possibly have to treat people in these situations. COVID, though, has also been it's what we talked about in the Ukraine situation. It's just been a massive disruption to the global supply chains, right? So it's even less, I'm more worried uh, for these people in DRC and Yemen and South Sudan and countries like this. I'm more worried about them struggling from malnutrition uh, because they can't get their foods, uh, struggling from just extreme poverty that they can't even survive and support their families. And so what we see happening is with the supply chain disruptions, what we talked about earlier, that was already happening before Ukraine and Russia, that the global supply chain was just falling apart. 
your listeners have seen it in their own grocery stores, right? But imagine us, we're the most economically prosperous country in the world, and they're seeing this happen. Now go to some far corner of Africa, and when this supply chain falls apart, guess where the first places are where food stops being uh, delivered to uh, small little stores, right? Well, it gives our listeners opportunities then to uh, be the hands and feet of Christ or aid you as you bring this blessing to people who've had uh, crisis upon crisis upon crisis now uh, to uh, bring the witness of Christ's love to the world. To our listeners, we hope that you will join us real soon again for Engaging Truth. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.